Alrighty guys, and welcome to another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast, and on the line today, I have Lee Boyce. Now, Lee, we were just uh, quick catching up, and you said it's been a, it's been a busy uh, last year, excited for the, the start of 2020 here. What do you, uh, what do you see uh, in the cards for you coming forward here? Um, so honestly, it's going to be a lot more, um, it seems like the speaking side of things has really uh, started to, to take off a little bit more, and... Uh, as far as like speaking engagements and travel engagements, I've gotten already a number of those lined up, which is great because I've been really trying to uh, to get more experience with that. And I've been, uh, I think since the last time we spoke, uh, the new thing that's really been going on consistently was teaching. So uh, I'm teaching at a college right now in Toronto. And um, it's my, I guess it's going to be my fifth semester in a row doing that. And so uh, because of that, I feel like it sort of serves the, the speaking very well and the speaking sort of serves the teaching very well. So I'm just glad that those two things could go hand in hand like this. And um, I'm just, it's, they're both two things that I'm quite passionate about. And it really, really starts, in my opinion, to hone, hone my skills. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm always welcoming of it. And I, I really, really enjoy it. So as far as uh, I, I want to touch on the speaking, but I'm, I'm excited to talk actually about some of the teaching too, because there I feel like you can almost get that much more in depth because now you have, like you said, that semester uh, to really get uh, with with those minds that want want to learn. Like, what is it? What are the classes called, or what are they uh, structured around? Yeah, so um, the te- the teaching classes they're called uh, fitness and health promotion is the name of the course. Okay, and so uh, the I, I teach a, a variety of different labs and uh, classes within that. So there's one called exercise prescription and um, there's exercise prescription level one and exercise prescription level two. And so uh, this upcoming semester, so in January, I'm going to be teaching exercise prescription two, which is for the third and fourth semester students who are getting ready to graduate and stuff like that. And it deals with a lot more um, hands on biomechanical things and stuff that has to do with, um, you know, just people who really want to take uh, an interest in the field that, that, that I'm in. So personal training and strength coaching and that sort of thing. So um, you learn about the details of how to coach Q and uh, perform things like uh, Olympic lifts, for example, or coach Q and performing, uh, you know, the FMS, the movement screen tests and all that stuff, um, and just how to uh, properly assess a client and, and whatnot. So it's very, very uh, practical. So uh, that's one of the things I'm teaching. And then uh, I just got off of teaching uh, the on-campus internship, which is uh, something I'm going into next semester as well doing too. And uh, that internship is like literally they have a client that they are dealing with on campus already in a sort of a cooperative fashion. And um, yeah, you you act as sort of like a programming consultant for them and you go over certain things and um, you can test them out in certain ways and you have practical exams and, and uh, competency evaluations, they call it. And uh, yeah, it's like it's really an extension of what I already do uh, in a classroom setting. So it's great. Now, that actually sounds uh, like kind of the way to go, uh, especially with the, the, the personal training side of things, because, again, how many people will just go, they'll get their... XYZ, like whatever the credentials they want to go get. And then it's like, okay, now just go get your clients and work with them and come back when you right. want to do some more learning. But here you have somebody who's been in the field. Like you said, you're not doing, you're not forcing them to do exactly this program, but apply those principles and then actually critique and give feedback. So that seems just such a better way to get into it and uh, really just shorten that learning curve. Yeah. And I, 
appreciate the fact that the the college is even uh, taking strides the way they are in the sense of looking for people who are sort of deep into the industry or who have both feet into whatever industry it is that is in question. Uh, they do it with the hospitality services as well, like uh, people who are into cooking and uh, being chefs and so on. Uh, they do it with uh, paramedicine and firefighting and all that stuff too. They have instructors who are already in the game. Um, and it's not just sort of like a regurgitation of just um, uh, of applying a uh, theoretical knowledge all the time from a textbook or from some kind of curriculum that is set. Uh, there's a little bit more, there's a little bit more hands-on and a little bit more real world application because of the people who are delivering it. And so I'm glad to be part of it. And um, I think that it really, really hits home for the students. So I'm, I'm just glad to be doing it. Now, how is that different than uh, just some of your speaking engagements as well? So, I guess, well, here's the funny thing is that like, I try to bridge the gap with both of those things. Um, but speaking engagements is, um, you know, uh, if there's a symposium, for example, like the Kansas city fitness summit, for example, I'm going to be in there in May. Um, so Kansas city fitness summit, you'll have like a lineup of five or six or eight speakers or something over a course of two days. And everybody gives a 90 minute or 60 minute presentation about various topics. And, you know, it's, it's helping other professionals to do, uh, to do their job better. And, um, you know, it could be on a variety of subjects. And um, I love doing that as well, of course, because it's 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 a great, you know, chip on the resume, of course. But on top of that, it's just a, it's just a passion of mine. I really enjoy getting out there and educating and speaking. And it's just another avenue of doing so. Um, I will always forever have an issue with the fact that most of the development stuff and the information that gets put out there uh, in these kinds of events unfortunately only speaks to trainers and doesn't really speak to the public as much and i would love for more events that actually educate the public so that they uh, the, the general public knowledge of fitness and health can increase um, but regardless um, i'll always uh, welcome the opportunity to speak uh, to, to trainers too so uh with that said going back to your original question why does uh what what what, what do i like about it compared to the, the, the teaching I bridge the gap a little bit because when I teach, uh, it makes me have the opportunity to test the, uh, the test the students. I'll ask them questions and get them to answer for me and so on. And I try to apply that for, uh, for the sake of interaction with the, the trainers that I speak to at different events um, because, you know, it's easy to sort of just spew out information and say, here's what I found. Here's what I do. Here's this, this and this. Here's the information put into that. And that's it. Here's my presentation and done. But, um, you know, I, I do my best to try to ask them questions and, and try to keep it interactive. And I feel like the teaching side of things uh, makes it a lot easier for me to do that because I'm, I'm already used to being that way. Um, and, you know, it makes it a little bit more of an engaging talk, I think, anyway, from, uh, from the feedback that I've gotten when I do get audience interaction like that, which um, uh, many times people could forget to do if they're in that sort of zone or in that mode of just, uh, you know, giving the speech, giving the talk and going through the slides and whatnot. And it could be great information. But, you know, if the if the interaction is on the lower end, then it might be a little bit harder for somebody to retain stuff. So you, you talked about um, almost wanting to, like, reach the public. Now, is that what you would consider maybe more of your writing? Do you do, do you gear that more uh from your feelings, at least, like, is, is your writing process then maybe more towards the public to be able to uh, give them as much as that fitness? Or do you still feel that your writing is more geared towards fitness professionals in general? 
honestly, I think that it's more toward the public if I was to really think about it. Now, of course, there's going to be niche audiences within the public. Like uh, if I do a hypertrophy article or I do an article that's on, um, you know, advanced strength training methods, then that's obviously going to deal with more of a, uh, for lack of a better term, an elite clientele or more of a, of a client base that is uh, more advanced as a trainer or sorry, as a, as a lifter. Right. right? Um, and of course, course these are techniques that all kinds of trainers can go ahead and apply themselves to to their clients so um it it serves that population but a lot of the stuff that i write for example even my blog where i don't talk about training stuff at all i talk more about um you know the things i see in the culture of the industry and the socio-cultural aspects of what people are doing and why they're motivated to do what they do and all that it could give somebody uh, some real food for thought who is just a regular fitness enthusiast who has nothing to do with the industry other than the fact that they they exercise regularly and it could give them a little bit more perspective from uh you know from hopefully what they consider a level-headed guy as to what why they're doing what they're doing uh, what what motivates them to do what they're doing and how um how they react to certain things they see even um so i try to gear as much as i can towards the general public if i'm writing for um, you know, like a T nation or writing for, uh, I'm trying to think of an SCA, um, personal trainer quarterly and so on. It's obviously going to be more toward people who are professionals in the industry, but, um, I just feel like it, it solves more of the ongoing issues in the industry. If we try to gear things toward the public and, um, as much as I can, I try to do that. Even with the videos that I post up online, like I try to make it so that everybody can sort of benefit from it. What do you see as being like then some of your Maybe just like call it, take the last year, right, or last quarter, whatever it is, um, like some of your uh, best work or really the the food for thought for you uh, as far as that general public. Wait, what, what are their, what do you th- see as like the biggest takeaways that you've been able to give people uh, to better understand what the 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 gym, the fitness culture should be about versus almost not be about. So Instagram and social media and so on and how far away from real life all that stuff is and how caught up people can get um, when they go down that rabbit hole. And it's not a strike against having social media or using social media or documenting your stuff on social media. It's just a matter of like how far into it do you get where that starts dictating um, everything else? Um, Are you so steeped in it that you can't differentiate that from the real life or from the real world? Um, That's where you start running into problems. And whether that comes in the form of endlessly posting selfies where you're wearing next to nothing just so you can get the validation from other people or whether that comes in the form of uh, going into tireless arguments with uh, other trainers or getting into tireless arguments with um, people who aren't trainers who are just lifters uh, going back and forth with your opinions or or shaming other people online or whatnot um, just because you can and because you're between between you and them as a screen and so you don't feel like you're you can you feel invincible right so just all of that those kinds of uh issues that involve that usually surround social media um i I think that that's one of the most common things that i like to talk about because it really is a nexus between it's a spawn for a lot of different uh you know, for lack of a better word, morale or cultural breakdowns that I see in, in fitness. And, you know, somebody's got to say it, otherwise nobody will. And, and I don't see, I see a shortage of that kind of talk out there already. And, you know, if I do see a lot of it get addressed, I see it in a different vein where it's kind of like, um, almost, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost too, uh, I'll say welcoming, but too, um, I'm trying to think of the word that I'm trying to use here. Just 
too allowing, too allowing of stuff, right? Um, where it's okay if you're this, it's okay if you do that, uh, just do you. And there's, there's a lot of that side of it where I feel like it almost goes into another extreme because then there's no accountability that's taken for a lot of people's actions or accountability that's taken for, you know, maybe somebody's lack of results that they're looking for or, or whatever have you, you know? So it's just finding that balance and striking a balance where you can understand both sides of this is, is the most important thing to me. And, uh, that's the, the, message that i try to get out the most well what would you see as like the biggest positives of using like you said instagram twitter what is facebook well i mean any of those yeah um so definitely just there is definitely some community that can come along with it um you can get access to a whole lot of great information if you follow the right accounts and so on too so if you're looking to help yourself out with training and so on uh, if you're following the right sources of information you know instagram for example has been i've only had it for a year and it's been a huge way to uh, really get access to all kinds of great info uh, if you are following the right accounts so there's definitely the positives in regards to uh um, to, to just those aspects alone. I, I use Instagram in a certain way that only really spews out fitness information and absolutely nothing else lifestyle related or anything like that. Um, and you know, I mean, I pretty sure that the people who follow my Instagram aren't feeling let down or, or whatever, based on how much info comes out to them regularly. And also I don't feel like they're sitting there wondering how come I don't know what he's eating right now or what he's doing uh, this weekend or what, you know, that's the only reason why people start caring about that stuff most of the time is because it's thrown in front of them. But if it's not given a- if they're not given access to that, they're not going to go, uh, you know, they're not going to go, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're not going to go wondering if they're not, if they're not going to go wondering what's going on. So I don't know. I just keep it fitness. I keep it fitness only. And it's been working out okay. But I, I I hadn't really thought about that. Like even just like first of all, my own social stuff until you said that. It's like, no, there are things that I put out there and there's things where it's just like, yeah, kind of let go. Not that it's necessarily not important to uh, maybe an overall like healthy lifestyle or fitness routine or whatever you want to call it. But hey, you, you can put what you want there. It doesn't have to be, and it doesn't have to be all good. It doesn't have to be all bad. I mean, it's you're trying to, get out the best information possible, really. Yeah. You know, it all depends on how someone wants to use their social. And if someone wants to use the social because it's a life thing and a lifestyle thing, then cool. That's fine. Me, I use it for business only and training-related stuff, and that's basically it. Uh, For other people that might use it for, you know, staying in touch with certain friends or connecting and, and, you know, giving windows into their lives and posting something they're proud of that has nothing to do with fitness at all, you know, so it it all depends on what you want. For somebody who's got a professional mindset towards it and they're they're really um, hoping that it's just professional, though, like, they they might want to watch or guard against, I guess, what I'll call overshare culture, where it can start looking less professional depending on what it is that you're posting and how often you're posting such things. So, um, yeah, like, I... I, I will definitely take things to an extreme with my own self, but uh, somebody else, if, if they want to, if they want to go and, and deviate from being strictly professional, you just got to watch out because I feel like the quality, I guess, of your audience, whether you post stuff that's really polarizing or post stuff that's very on one side of the fence or whatever, the quality of your audience is going to reflect that or the, 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 the type of audience that you would 
attract is going to reflect that as well. And, um, you know, it might be shown in your engagement. You know, there are a lot of people who are shock jockeys um, who are they're going to they're going to go and they're going to post something that's really, really incendiary because they know it's going to go viral simply because of the fact that there's going to be a million people who disagree with it. And there's going to be a million more people who agree with it and so on. And it's going to cause divisions and it's going to be polarizing information, et cetera. And, um, you know, it, it to me, it starts detracting from what uh, this should really be all about. Um, if we're really if our goal is really to educate the masses or make uh, the condition of the industry get better, then what are we putting out there and, and why are we putting it out there? So those are the questions that I ask myself. And it doesn't take you know it's a pretty short answer when I give my answer to that question. But uh, it's 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 not too complicated, man. No, you probably recognize right now within the next week if you wanted to you know the next uh or or even just call it the next month right like you know the next 30 posts you can make to get 30 million followers or something like that but right is it really going to uh add to the value that you you have to share no probably not it's just like you said it's just going to be the shock jockey like people are just going to be going crazy but not necessarily getting getting that that learning getting that uh what you want to be able to share with them yeah yeah exactly and um you know i'm just not about that myself i gotta i gotta get uh i gotta get the quality to always stay at a certain level uh i have no problem with people having a certain expectation or a standard of expectations and whatnot um you know i Right now, I see so many of those posts that are, uh, and this is fine. So let me just preface this by saying it's perfectly fine. But I see so many of these posts where it's like 2009, I was this, this, and this, and I did this, this, and this. 2019, here I am now doing this, this, and this, and here's how I've changed or grown or whatever. That's a fine post. I just, I'm sure that 100% of the people who follow me would never expect me to put something up like that in my life. That's just who I, it's not me, right? It's just not me. And it's not, uh, it's not my style. It's not what it would be way out of left field for someone from someone like me to be doing that. Um, so, you know, people have come to expect certain behavior or certain things from people. And in this case, in, in, in my case, uh, so I just, I sort of stick with that and that's, what's garnered the amount of traction that I have gotten so far a fairly short time and i just like to continue in that vein because it keeps things focused it keeps things in one in one sort of train of thought in one line and you know uh, if people are interested in learning about you know solid foundations of training without any sort of you know any sort of stuff on the side then they know where to come and it's it's been working out okay and i hope to stay that focused to be honest so i'm curious then how do you kind of how do you keep your um uh, eye on the industry like is it do you like to read a lot of other articles do you like to uh talk about like going to the symposiums is it hey we're talking on a podcast like do you like podcasts do you like youtube videos i mean how uh, is it just following on social like how do you really like to um stay engaged and see kind of what else is going on out there um i would probably answer that the biggest source for me is actually being out in the field and it's not stuff i see like listen you go on an instagram news feed you're going to f- see a million things in 30 seconds right so obviously you're going to see stuff from social media it's unavoidable as soon as you open facebook as soon as you open you know as soon as you open instagram or whatever you're going to see a quote or a, a tweet or a, a post or a video or whatnot of something that represents uh 
that represents or misrepresents the industry and that you will have some kind of a critique or commentary on, right? Even if it's an article that you read that was posted on Facebook and you read the comments underneath that article, it's like, oh, here we go, right? And you see all the divisive stuff and the contention and this and that and these wars that go on, you know, so it's unavoidable online. But I think that the main answer to your question for me, uh, it's from being out in the field and seeing how people actually you know, interact with each other in person and the contrast to how they will interact on social. Um, you see how people treat the idea of fitness or what the reality is of people's behavior toward fitness. And, you know, one of the things that I learned this year that I put in my blog for the year end was that uh, clients really just want to stay safe. They really want to, um, you know, improve their strength, but also they want to look better naked, you know. And those three things, and I said, stay safe, look better naked, and get them and improve their strength. I believe. I think that's how I put it. And if you really think about it, when we think about how deep and detailed some of the articles can get about, you know, training and strength and, and hypertrophy and optimizing this, that, and the third, that's all valid stuff. But the client probably doesn't care. And if you put <laughs> the client, and if this is really supposed to be about public health and it's supposed to really be about increasing the level of knowledge in the industry and it's really supposed to be about helping us make our clients better and all that stuff then we always ask the client what their why is that's a huge you know what's your why why are you doing what you're doing okay so i want to get in shape i want to get better i want to have a better relationship with food i want to have a better relationship with my own body i want to get more confident i want to get this that and the third great so how far does it really need to go other than making better food choices and having a consistent and steady and safe approach to the gym. Like mental stuff aside, that's really as far as it needs to go for most of the people we'll ever encounter as personal trainers, period. You know, and if people can understand that and come to terms with that, that, that truth, then this whole process doesn't have to be as complicated as it is. And, uh, you know, the convoluted articles that are full of a lot of jargon and so on, you know, some of those are really useful and good and, and so on. And there's a million and one studies to reference this, that, and the third. But at the end of the day, again, our clients don't really care about what their, how, how to optimize their, their deadlift starting strength or how to optimize their, you know, their mid-range strength and their bench. And their, you know, it's great to get them there. But at the end of the day, if they got a little bit leaner and they got stronger and they got, you know, stronger than they used to be anyway, and they got... Um, you know, a, just a better, they didn't get injured and their, yeah, their injuries went away overall. Right. And they feel better and then they're going to be happy and they're going to return, <laughs> you know, as long as the money's fine, they're going to be perfectly fine to keep going and going and going with you because they will see that value. And, um, you know, it, the personal training is an industry, interesting industry. You know why? Cause like, I think that, I think that we have as a collective, I think we have like a, uh, inferiority complex, I think that we have a Napoleon syndrome or the inferiority complex or something like that. Why? Because we wear tracksuits to work. Um, because we are a young industry as well. Because as an industry itself, we are also younger, as in a like the personal training craft hasn't been existing forever, right? Whereas being a bookkeeper has, right? Things like that. So we have a lot more to I guess, disprove and prove to people who aren't in the industry to say, hey, no, we're the real deal as well. This is an important job as well. Yeah, we don't wear ties to work. We don't carry briefcases. We don't have typical hours. We don't have any of that stuff. But yeah, you should look at us the same way that you look at that accountant. So this is a legit industry. And I feel like that complex, that inferiority syndrome that we might be, we might be prisoner to uh, dictates us 
going above and beyond to compensate for how scientific it must get or going above and beyond to compensate for how um, detailed we get with our explanations for things and whatnot, when truly, you know, it doesn't take much to get somebody, as long as they listen, to build muscle or burn fat or, you know, get in better shape or, you know, improve their cardio or reduce their chronic pain and so on. You know, as long as the trainer has a decent foundational knowledge of what they're doing, it's not crazily difficult to do that, you know. Um, And it's hard for people in this industry to acknowledge that it's that simple or that it, it can be that simple. Right. And, um, you know, that, that a five word answer could summarize uh, can, can accurately re- respond to somebody's question rather than giving them a whole, you know, the whole book of Job. <laughs> so I guess, uh, I guess that the industry, it can use a little bit more of that healthy simplicity. And I think that it can, it can really, um, it can make it move forward in a good way because there's always going to be the haters out there who think that that's, uh, that's an, it's an inferior job or that's less important or whatever. But you know, how much are we feeding into that as professionals too? We should just put our heads down and do the right thing and, and, you know, just keep on keeping it simple because that's what it, well, that's what it takes. You should be able to like, if you want to mix mitts with people on the deepest scientific jargon, you should be able to do that. Sure. But, you need to know when to choose those battles and when not to. And, you know, even when it comes to the most elite athletes and so on, then many times they present the same issues that somebody who's a complete beginner will present in certain lights. And so what does that mean for us? It means that we keep it simple too. The answer needs to be simple too. I, I, I think one of the biggest things you, you touched on there was uh, starting off like, what is your why? Like finding that out with a client because that makes everything and speaking to simplicity it's like when you find that out when you know what somebody just is doing this for it's so much easier to get them on board with okay the cardio the strength training the diet changes the sleep changes the whatever it is it makes uh just all of those things that much more simple again because it doesn't have to be again rocket science you don't have to be going into all these studies uh so lee i'm curious like what is your why right now like for for maybe just let's call it for training like what is your why for going to the gym every day to for working on all the stuff that you're working on um well number one first and foremost ever since 2017 it's always been about um you know just making sure that my lower body is nice and strong um my my knees and so on that they they rehab properly and that they maintain the strength that i've rebuilt in them um so that is always going to be sort of like the main order of business, even regardless of what area of the body I'm trying to train. It's just, I want to keep that consistency for that purpose. And that didn't used to be the answer because I didn't get injured before. Right. Uh, I hadn't got injured before. So that is now number one. Um, and other than that, you know, just get healthy, stay healthy, remain healthy and be somebody who is a disciple of the craft that I'm in. You know, I really do believe in walking the talk and, um, you know, I realize that beyond a certain point, having certain PRs in the gym or certain levels of, of ability in the strength world and so on, it's it's more of a hobby than it is a necessity. Uh, it's something that a lot of people don't seem to want to acknowledge, but it's uh, there's going to be a point where the, the law of diminishing returns comes and takes its toll. Um, but aside from that, so the, there is a hobbyist aspect of it in me as well. Um, but aside from that, I just, the whole getting healthy and staying healthy and just maintaining consistency so that I can be somebody who can truly practices what they preach. Um, it, it just, it's so much of an advantage, especially when it comes to not only just getting clients or anything like that, but also when it comes to knowing exactly what a client, 
um, is going through for uh, a program, for example, or what demands are being imposed on that client when you're telling them to do a certain workout or when they do complain of certain pain or, or certain, you know, unforeseen uh, occurrences, you might have experienced that yourself or you might have uh, been familiar with that. Um, just being around the gym culture in itself, too, where you can talk to people. Um, I love talking to really in shape, much, much older people in the gym. Because it builds a whole lot of perspective in terms of what, um, well, in terms of your own why even, but uh, in terms of just um, what uh, what will allow you to last the long haul when it comes to training. And, um, you know, when you see somebody who's 70 and they're in great shape and you wonder, like, what what have you been doing for the last literally 40 years um, to, to get you to this point where you're you're feeling great, you're looking great, and you're still able to do this stuff in the gym that looks pretty impressive, like, what what have you been doing? Because I know the answer is, oh, yeah, you know, I do 90% of my 1RM three times. Through it. No, it's not that, right? <laughs> uh, it's not, it's not going to be that. It's uh, like over 40 years, no way. You have to adjust and change your training as you age and uh, adjust and change your training as you, you know, as you feel fit. So um, just stuff like that can build perspective, just being in that environment. So I, uh, that's one reason as well where I like to uh, – that, that one social aspect is something that I don't take for granted. So – I, don't know, I guess all all of those answers answer my my why. That's sort of why I'm doing this. There's a lot well, of what, interest in those. What things. are those answers you're getting from those people? The, so, the older the older people that are still just hey, they're crushing it. Yeah, uh, believe it or not, the most common response that I've gotten for people who are um, you know in their senior years um, is they are, they're they're so much more focused on stretching and mobility. That's it. They'll say, you know, I get out, I try to stretch, I get to the gym, I stretch, I stretch a lot. Uh, and, you know, this probably goes against so much of what these strength coaches these days are saying, you know. Um, and, you know, I even have my own personal things, like my beliefs on stretching and when to use it and so on. But this is what they're all saying. They'll, they'll stretch like crazy. Um, you know, they know when to hold back on their training in terms of going heavy and all that stuff as well. Um, most of them actually don't lift too heavy anymore. Um, from as regards to what they can, they're capable of doing. Most of them don't lift too heavy anymore. Most of them are focused on stretching, mobility, and just consistency. Otherwise, they go out and and they also diversify their training. So they're not just lifting. You know, they're they they make more of an effort towards doing things like cardio, steady state cardio, and doing things like um, lifting for higher repetitions if they do lift, and of course doing mobility drills and stretching and really really focusing on their flexibility, which. I suspect is going to come into to haunt a lot of people when they're past, let's say, 50 or 55, that I'm sure those things go down like crazy. So um, it's just interesting to see that it's very common. It's a very, very common th theme that I do see when I do speak to people who are much older in terms of what they do or how they've adjusted or changed their training. And um, yeah, uh, stretching and, and flexibility work and mobility work takes a much uh, uh, a seat closer to the head of the table, that's for sure. Yeah, I can't, I can't uh, agree more. And especially, uh, I, I've started seeing just a lot of more um, in the clinic, like um, teenagers, really, like high school age, where it's these kids are having like neck pain, shoulder pain, and it's not any injury. It's just like th they're already getting it, like from again text neck. Like it, it, yeah. it's 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 a thing. Like there's a reason. Uh, we're starting to talk about it, but I think trying to put it in perspective, like, okay, I have usually like 15, 20 years on these kids now. So I'm starting to really understand that. 
uh, for myself, but I'm trying to get them to understand like, no, their parents are telling them this for a reason because it's, they're seeing it in their grandparents, like all of these things. Like if you're not addressing that flexibility, that mobility of just you, like, we're talking just upper body posture here, right? Like you're just falling forward, but oh my God, like it's, it's going to be an epidemic for people that do not address it. Uh, because just for the same reason that these people, like you're talking about, like you said, hey, they've been consistent for the last 40 years of doing the right things. Well, once it adds up that, hey, if they're starting their teens, like 60 years of doing the wrong things, and then yeah. they want to reverse it, it's just going to be too late to overcome. Like you're going to have just this massive uphill battle uh, to get over that too. Yeah. Um, I do like the idea of stretching um... – you know, and I said something in my in a recent post of mine uh, in, in in a video format. Actually, I said you know stretching to feel better, and uh, and strengthening to get better, and uh, both of those things uh, they they deserve a little bit of an explanation because yeah, stretching might not be the answer to everything, but if it helps that seventy year old guy feel better and capable of working out and feel ready to work out or feel you know just more limber overall so that they have what it takes to go through a workout without you know that that nagging chronic pain or even without uh the mental block of feeling like they're going to be more prone to chronic pain or whatever like then have at it and i think that the mental aspect of training um it needs to not be overlooked and things like stretching to feel better and so on that needs to be addressed so even if it is um, almost just like a placebo effect, like yeah. who, who cares? It's, it's exactly. working. <laughs> exactly. And uh, so, yeah, this is exactly that. So even if it's just for the placebo effect, even if it just, listen, I say this sort of thing all the time with other things too. Like, for example, if there are things that put you in a certain zone, then who's to say that just because some article that somebody wrote or whatnot or some study out there that says, oh, no, this is, this is dangerous for you or whatever, that you should stop doing it. If it's been working for you, then why would you stop? So things like... Uh, I'm trying to think like you go to the gym and you always squat in one certain cage and that's the cage that you love, you know, and you're always in that cage and you always like using this one bar as well, you know, and you've PR'd with that bar. You've had a great workout with that bar. Maybe the bar has more flex than the other bars and that's supposedly not so great for your lip, but you love that bar. Then why would you change that? Why would you, why would you deviate from the routine if something's working for you? You don't, if, if it's not broken, then don't fix it. Right. And so, um, that's the way that we should apply, especially as we get older, because I feel like so many articles and so much studies and so much research and so much training stuff that's, that's considered very, very, um, you know, sophisticated, it's focused on optimizing strength and optimizing hypertrophy and optimizing fat loss, which is all great to know, but it's also focused on doing that for somebody who's in the right place to optimize those things. So in my opinion, that always means somebody who's like 22, not too many responsibilities, um, maybe no family or anything like that, not previously injured, no conditions or anything like that that are worth even mentioning. Like, you know, they have the platform that's perfect for them to just be a, a young gunner who's about to build a bunch of muscle and get really strong and wicked. And, and that's just not the reality for most of the people, especially in the personal training industry, that we're ever going to meet. Yeah, we'll have 22-year-olds. There are people who specialize in working with young athletes. That's cool. But most personal trainers are going to meet people who are older than that. 
most personal trainers are going to meet people who have a whole bunch of problems already and with their bodies and so on as far as, you know, chronic pain or postural issues or, you know, imbalances from one side to the other where some of these theories and some of these uh, the, this uh, theory can work for them for sure. But most of them, it's just going to come down to the same stuff I said before, the simple changes, you know, consistency, base movements, assessing just the basic gait and posture and so on. And, and you're going to have leaps and bounds. And of course, nutritional cleanup, you know, and uh, if you make those changes for 90% of the people that we meet, they're all going to see results. And, uh, you know, all they have to do is adhere to them, adhere, adhere to those, uh, those cues or to that, um, uh, what's it called, to, to those instructions. And um, yeah, I, I just really, really believe that it just needs to be kept simple like that. And, and again, going back to the first thing we were talking about, you know, if it's not broken, then don't fix it. If, if stretching before your workout has made you feel great for your workout and everyone else says that you should be doing mobility drills that are dynamic – uh, it, it doesn't. You don't have to change it. You don't have to change it. You know, if if foam rolling really, really releases a lot of adhesions or tension or whatever that's wound up in your muscles, but then this says that it suppresses your nervous system and this, that, and the third, and so it's not going to optimize. Who cares? You know, just foam roll. Who cares? You know, and I love foam rolling too. I'd foam roll before every one of my workouts. I don't know how many people know that, but that's what I do. And, um, you know, I've written about foam rolling. I've written about not foam rolling. I've written about all that stuff. And so, you know, you got to figure out what works not for, not for the lifter, but works for you particularly. Right. And, uh, uh, it's it's going to be a way to really sustain your efforts in the gym so that you are that 70 year old who is in great shape and who still has perfect functionality and so on. And that's what it, that's what it comes down to. And I think it goes to almost, um, talking like, okay, oh, well this research study says this, this research study says this, this one says this. Well, were you in any of those research studies too? It's like, right. if you weren't in them, it doesn't necessarily have that application to you. So like you said, if the foam rolling works for you, well, by all means go and do so, it. That's the thing with research that I kind of always have this sort of double-edged sword effect with is that, you know, first of all, if you want to take the book seriously and so on, that's cool. I've never, I've always wondered like who, how many people get into these, like these, these control groups for studies, you know, it could be a hundred, it could be eight, it could be 3000. It depends on the study, of course. But then you have to ask questions like, okay, what were the ages of the people who were uh, who are being uh, considered um what was the training age of the individuals who were being considered as well um what were the genders of the people who were being considered what was the um what were the anthropometries of the people who were being considered for certain lifts and certain results to be get uh, garnered and so on like just all kinds of questions like that what was the what was the injury history of those people as well um you know, just you can go on and on in terms of getting the different particulars and how those things might affect what the findings could be for that study. Um, you know, is the study made with a previous hypothesis that you kind of lean towards when you're conducting the study or is it not like and this isn't to invalidate any of those findings, but it is to say that like a study is just additional information, but it doesn't stay that it doesn't state that it's going to be the defining factor for what gives you the results that you get, you know. There's always going to be that person who does more pull-ups in their workouts, and because they do more pull-ups, even if that's the only thing that changes, their calves grow, you know? Like, <laughs> there's always going to be that person that, because they've increased the amount that they dumbbell bench press, their glutes get high, their glutes get stronger, you know? Like, where we can't, this whole industry is based around inference and educated guesses and hypotheses and nothing that's written in stone and nothing that's concrete. 
So we can't go around thinking like the things that the books say are the way that it must be 100% of the time because it doesn't work that way. And the, the faster we can learn that and recognize that, A, the more it's going to influence how intuitively we train ourselves, but B, it's going to make us uh, a better trainer because we're going um, to be looking at things in a little bit more of a holistic way. Yeah, I think also like just to touch on that even a little bit more is, um, okay, uh, does it say how many hours is like if, if it's studying, if you're studying um, maybe like a, a squat or a leg press or something like that, well, does it take into account how much each of those people is sleeping? Uh, is one of them working 60 hours a week versus the other one is part time? That 60 hours a week also has four kids. The one that's working 20 hours a week maybe doesn't have any kids and really no responsibilities. So it's like just cumulative stress. Are they looking at all yep. these other things? Like, so th- there's research needs to still be conducted. I, I think yeah. it would be a step backwards if we didn't look at it, but again, too many things to, to take into account and you have to know where it's applicable for each of your clients, for yourself. And then that intuition of, you know what? I, I know this is what it all says, but I think this is just what we need to do today for you yeah. because this is where you're at in life period. Yeah. And, uh, that's why it's so much more of a, like, You know, this is going to be totally against the grain, but like I don't make that many programs for a lot of my in-person clients for a lot of reasons. And uh, reason number one, the consistency has to be there and the frequency has to be there. So if the only times that a client is training with me uh, is two times per week and the only times the client is training at all are the times they see me then I'm probably not going to make a structured program for them. A, there's way too many fish to fry for it to fit into one, you know, two-day-a-week program. That's number one. Um, But number two, you know, I uh, have been doing this for a while now, and so I have a fair amount of knowledge in terms of how I would put together a workout off the top of my head. And uh, with that said, there are a lot of different umbrellas that you can structure a workout that, you know, like a vertical push-pull, for example, or an upper body, lower body thing, or whatever you want to do. And and that doesn't require some set program where you're tracking and following them around with a clipboard and numbers so that you can tell them what weights they're lifting. No, no, no. There's way more because, A, doing that is not going to lead to that many gains in the first place because the frequency is just not – it's not high enough. But, B, you know, if you do something like that, um, if you you avoid – setting a structured program and whatnot gives you the chance to actually go through different what's the word i'm looking for different even forms of trial and error to see what works best for that person you know and uh, i like the idea of variety within or underneath a certain umbrella it doesn't mean we're doing instability work one day and then max strength work the second day because that's just too random but you know maybe one squat variation compared to another squat variation compared to a third squat variation on on successive weeks you know and you get the chance to practice all these movements number one see what serves them the best what gives them the best response and so on and um you know they get some exposure to a little bit of variations uh, of 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 training um, whereas if you stay glued to one program or you stay glued to one set protocol, um, you know, you might see a little bit of results in continuously repeating the same thing week to week to week. But, um, at the same time, you know, you, you sort of deprive them of having the opportunity to have that variety, which, which could come in to be a pretty handy thing, especially with a person who's got that sort of thing. Um, on top of it, you know, if somebody wants to do like, you know, somebody who's more, um, oriented towards performance, for example, somebody who is there two days per week and they care about, let's say they don't care about the three things that I said that most clients care about, you know, looking better naked and uh, staying safe and improving the strength marginally, um, or feeling better. 
you know, let's say that that's off the table, then that means that they're probably most interested in the performance, how much they can lift and so on, you know, and uh, what their workout numbers are. Well, okay, fine. In that case, the conversation needs to be had that they need to, they need to get in more frequently for this to actually work out, you know, but otherwise, if a client is under the three categories that I said before, then, you know, it doesn't need so, so, so much structure because those things, those, that vari- that variety, that variation and so on, deviating from the program or doing things that um, allows you to work with their bodies as they feel at the time, you know, that person's an investment banker. He worked 85 hours last week and he slept for four hours last night and he's coming to see you at 6 a.m., you know. Okay, so in a situation like that, what do you what do you do? How do you how do you play it? You know, how do you how do you freestyle or how do you sort of like modify things so that you you can give them exactly what you should be giving them for the day and for the time? You know, we've got to get out of the box that makes us say that, okay, this, this and this says that we should do this. And so we must do that. You know, uh, and we have to get out of the box of thinking that, you know, if you don't reach a certain standard or you don't reach a certain amount of result or whatever or strength or whatever, then you're not there yet, for lack of a better term, you know, uh, that you haven't graduated to this and that yet. And it's not it's not how it should all work. You know, um, yeah, I can go on for days about this subject. It's it's just uh, it's unfortunate that we're still sort of stuck in that rabbit hole as a, as a society or as a as a as a culture or an industry. So. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I have a lot to say about that stuff. <laughs> well, Lee, maybe this is uh, how, how does a younger trainer figure that out, for lack of a better way to put it? Um, couple ways. I think that a younger trainer figures that out first of all by training themselves <laughs> frequently. Yeah. So so that they could understand that there's going to be off days for themselves personally. Um, I think the younger trainer figures that out as well by hiring a coach. That's one thing that I think is the most invaluable part of my own personal, um, you know, from, from uh, you know, going back to the beginning to, to today, um, is that I took in year number one, about six months into when I was a trainer, um, in year one, I, I hired a coach, and he was a really good coach, and he was much older than me, I was 20 years old, he was about 35 or so, so he'd been in the, in the game for quite some time, and he was also like most people agreed he was the best coach that was at my gym. And so I hired him to work with me and, um, you know, I wanted to build muscle at time and he showed me all kinds of things and he educated. It was just, it was a very organic and natural. It was, it was a great way to learn, you know, and, and, you know, you learn by doing, most people are going to learn the best by actually doing the thing. And that's what happened with me. So, um, understanding that, you know, you might not be feeling your best on a certain day to give a hundred percent of your efforts or that you might be tired one day or that you might be dealing with chronic pain that just creeps up out of nowhere because, you know, I know you did squats and then you did some kind of a lunge and all of a sudden your lunge is bothering your knees. Like why, you know, and what does your coach do to play? How does he play it differently? What does he do? What does he do to modify? Does he scratch the lift? Does he say to do it this way instead? You know, the difference in doing a reverse lunge versus a forward lunge. Just like all those little things where you can problem solve on the spot. All those little things where you can actually take the individual into consideration rather than what the program says, you know, that you should do or what the books say that you should do or that, you know, the textbook says the glute hamstring raise is a fantastic movement for eccentric strengthening of the hamstrings. Great. But what about the person who feels it in their knees? You're not supposed to feel a hamstring exercise in your knees, but it, it happens to me. 
It happens to a lot of my clients. Posterior cruciate ligament stress. There's all kinds of things that all of a sudden a, an exercise could be a wolf in sheep's clothing where it creates a lot of benefits, but for certain populations, it creates um, disadvantages that sort of writes it off for them. You know, and, and knowing that and feeling that firsthand with your own body will allow you to properly under, uh, apply and uh, understand that when clients say that sort of thing to you and uh, know how to sort of work around that and problem solve around that. Uh, so, Lee, I want to uh, shift gears for a moment then too. Um, in, uh, I know last time we talked, but also you put it in like your year-end wrap-up for uh, your, one of your articles there. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about movies. Uh, <laughs> What would have been some of your takeaways? Because there's also some things that I'm curious to see where you're going to go with this. Uh, but I mean, hey, what have been some of, some of your biggest movies and uh, what, what stood out to you uh, for them this year? For this year? Yeah. Okay. Um, let me see here. So my number one film of the year was Joker. I thought that that movie was excellent. And, you know, I have a small group of people, just personal friends of mine and so on, a couple of clients and so on, who I actually give much more extended reviews and we share this we do reviews back and forth for other movies that we watch and so that's an email format i'll send out an email that's like you know maybe 600 words on the movie with a numerical grade as well right so if people who follow me on twitter they'll see that i put up a movie review that's you know 240 characters or less and it'll have a letter grade by it you know a b c plus whatever it is right um and so for for these uh, reviews that i do for my for my people i do the the 600 word like a full page long review details about why what i liked about what i hated about etc and i'll give it 8.2 out of 10 7.3 out of 10 etc etc right so with joker i gave that movie an 8.7 it was really strong to me you know and uh it was one of the highest grades of the year and it was my favorite movie of the year i had seen that film five times in the theaters um i thought that the performance by joaquin phoenix was something that was one of the best ever by anybody one of the best performances by anyone ever that's how good he did um playing a very layered and broken person uh, I, I don't know if you've seen the movie but i'll tell I, you it's, i actually uh, haven't yet no oh it's it's something special as far as just the performance itself you know um it gives you a little bit more insight into, uh, you know, the debatable past of the Joker, because that's what the, the whole tale is, is that you don't quite know what to what, what brought him up. Um, so it, it takes a twist. He, Todd Phillips took a spin on it and he decided to leave it kind of open ended as well. So it was a very, very smart directorial choice. And it was something that really paid off really well. And uh, Phoenix just drove it home. He was front and center for the entire time. So this is my favorite movie of the year. Um yeah, and then uh, I guess I, I rounded out my top three with 1917 being second, which uh, is a World War One movie by Sam Mendes, and it's uh, got very, very big cinematography um, measures that it took or, or liberties that it took, and uh, those liberties paid off as well. I actually gave that a higher grade, even though it was my second favorite. I gave it an 8.8 .8 out of 10. It was, it was a really good movie. Um, and it was mesmerizing to watch the style in which they filmed this film, so it was very, very good. And um, my third favorite movie, which is something that a lot of people might not agree on, people will have it on their list, but they're going to have it a little bit lower on their list. But I loved the movie Us. Us came third for me. So, um, you know, it was a great take on horror. I think people aren't giving it enough credit in terms of just how many commentaries and statements and subtleties and nuances and, and metaphors and so on that were involved in that film. Um, I thought that it was a really cerebral film. It was a great take, and that was uh, it was worth. And that was my favorite female lead as well, with Lupita Nyong'o. So um, I thought that uh, it was just a great film. So those are my three. 
do you watch any uh, do you go into any like fitness or health like documentaries at all so I watched uh, I don't know if you're about to ask me okay, Game Changers I haven't seen Game Changers oh yet, no I'm just but, curious in general yeah okay I watched one on CrossFit this past year um, it was it was a focal point of one female uh the female crossfit champion and the male crossfit champion for the last year and it was a movie that was based around that and sort of like uh you know just the lengths to which they train for it and you know what you know just the build up toward the crossfit games and uh, eventually winning them and so on and uh that was interesting um and i watched some of the pumping iron one on netflix as well um wait but, like a yeah, documentary I, on pumping iron yeah, it was uh, it was the like it was sort of like a part 2.0 of it. So it was sort of like, uh, you know, the the more recent bodybuilding champions and so on, like the Phil Heaths and the uh, uh, whoever else was in there. Oh, I watched one on Rodney Coleman as well. I forgot about that one. So I watched I watched two bodybuilding documentaries and I saw the one on C.T. Fletcher, too. So it's all these fitness ones that are sort of more about one person or central or centralized around one person rather than maybe maybe like a culture or a movement or something like that. I just focus on I saw a few of the documentaries that are just on one one individual and they're interesting, you know, like um unfortunately i find that the theme that a lot of these documentaries follow is okay so make your own decision on whether or not you think that this absolutely like dedicated your life towards this one thing make your own decision on what you think of that that's basically what it's leaving you to do um you know do you consider it obsessed do you think that it's good is it motivating to you is it disgusting to you what is it and that's what it sort of leaves you with and it's because it's always centralized around somebody who achieved a whole lot and maybe maybe there was a downside to it maybe there was some kind of a negative that came along with it too like you know um in ronnie coleman's case for example injuries that happened with regards to weight training and so on uh ct fletcher's case heart stuff that happened as a result of all the powerlifting and all that and the dieting and so on that he that he underwent and so on um so you know, like the, it, it's sort of like they show two sides to the coin, I guess. And, you know, painting the picture when it's only centralized around one individual versus maybe looking at it as a whole, you know, like maybe a whole the whole culture of bodybuilding and what might influence somebody to even get that way in the first place. What might, you know, that I would love to see something that was built around that kind of idea where it's about the, it's not calling out the individual more so than calling out the culture. So... And I want, if you wouldn't mind, like touching on this, um, for both like the documentary style movies and just uh, your favorite movies of the year, like what is it? Because I, I think you really look at things from um, a societal standpoint. Like you, you talk about like speaking to the public, not just like okay to the fitness professionals. Like what is it that we can learn uh, as people? I think I see this almost like similar to like the Instagram things. Like what can we learn from some of these movies? What can we learn from some of these documentaries uh, to almost like apply to whether it be our fitness or just our lives in general? Hmm. Um, it's such an eclectic list of movies that I've seen this year. And um, or if I there guess... are any ones that maybe like speak to uh, really having like that uh, proper application where it's like, you know what? from this i could really see this uh in people as a whole yeah um well with regards to joker that movie centers around uh, i'm just using it because it's my favorite one yeah um, but that movie centers a lot around um the the uh, 
how ubiquitous something like mental illness really is in society, you know, how, um, how much, how prevalent it is and the way that we respond to that and the way that we, um, sort of, uh, treat people who are suffering from those things. Um, the power and importance of communication and proper communication too. Um, and I'm thinking of one other movie when I say that last, that last part about communication, the importance of how we communicate certain things and, and, uh, and whether or not a message is even interpreted the right way, it, that reminds me in a training world or in a training light that we do have a service to provide and part of that comes with the way that we present the information that we have um it's one thing to be able to coach and cue somebody um it's one thing to pretend to be or to put on a happy or a smiling face to be a good service provider but if you actually sort of like you know you ask the right questions you try to use imagery in your cues and so on you ask the right questions to get a good feeling on how they're feeling or how things are for them um whether or not they're enjoying their training sessions and so on like all that stuff matters too you know the enjoyment factor the fact that they're still remaining um you know for lack of a better term entertained i don't know what other word to use there um but that they're still they have that engagement because you know you've come with your am you've brought the energy and that you've made it an actual personal training experience for them a personal training experience for them so you're not just dealing with another client or another customer it's you're dealing with joe you're dealing with sean you're dealing with michelle you're dealing with those people and you you know you remember things how are your children what's going on with uh, school and blah blah just those little things they could they matter and for some people you know they might be overloaded with clients so that it's really hard for them to do that and personalize with them uh, like that but um i feel that uh, if there's one takeaway from some of the movies, I would have to say the communication factor needs to be on point in order for someone to take you seriously or develop a proper connection or bond with you. And, uh, you know, if you're if you're really overloaded with clients and it's hard for you to do that, then it might make you start asking questions about, you know, maybe you can optimize that aspect by maybe lowering your client list or lowering the amount of hours that you spend working um, and yeah, you might lose a little bit of money in the short term, but it might end up making you a little bit more in the long term because of how much more, um, you know, just clients that stick, number one, and number two, um, just the quality of your sessions. So, you know, you can charge more or whatever it is, you know, or you get a promotion from work because of how much more your renewals and your traction goes up and so on. So, you know, there's a lot of bright sides to look at it from doing something like that, even if it does mean, you know, cutting away some of your hours to get that quality up. I think that's, I think that's perfect. I appreciate uh, just all you've shared today. I, w- I always love hearing just some things on movies, but uh, I, I really appreciate it. Like how you, you just had so much to share on that. Like I think um, speaking to the public and keeping things simple uh, because I think that just gets oftentimes overlooked uh, in not just the fitness injury. I mean, so many different types of uh, industries and, and life in general. So I think that's, it's, it's a great way to finish up. And if you wouldn't mind just sharing, Hey, where can everybody find out uh, more about you, what you're doing, what you're up to for the year? Uh, yeah, so um, my uh, website is leeboystraining.com, leeboystraining.com, and then uh, all of my social media is at Coach Lee Boyce. So you can find me on Instagram now as I, as I got one as of the last year. And uh, Twitter and Facebook, I still have that going as well. So yeah, Coach Lee Boyce, and you'll find all my stuff. I post most all of my articles on all three of those uh, mediums and um yeah twitter is where you'll find the movie reviews that you're talking about and um yeah uh, otherwise you know videos and some tips and training tips and it's all training all the time so uh you know there's going to be no short of it, of shortage of information on any of those mediums there you go guys make sure to check it out if you're uh, into in, into fitness into movies uh, a little bit of both i think you're going to find plenty of uh plenty of good 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 uh, quality content there. So Lee, thank you again. Thanks a lot. Loved it.